Okay. Okay, tonight let's get into the Bible. If y'all take notes, it's going to be good. So later you can refer back to them. But there's something that's interesting, and this is what we're going to talk on tonight, is the dormant traps in the fifth column. Now, if you haven't heard of that, it's a little bit of warfare. If you've heard of what a fifth column is, this is where I was going to tell you that these are the type of things that we're addressing, that you have things in your life that could be a miserable end to your life, a miserable way. I would say this is one of the most important things that you could bring into your life. You must, you must pull this down from the Lord. But dormant, that's interesting. These are traps that are inside of you waiting to happen. They're traps from your past. They're things that lie inside of you waiting for something to activate them. What could those be? You know, I was thinking of my dad. He was up on a tractor, and he was out plowing his field like always, and boom, boom, he hit something, and it sounded like metal on metal. He got down, and when he pulled it up, what he had hit was a landmine from World War II. It didn't look safe to him, so he picked up the landmine. He took it into the police department, and he told the guy, I hit this with my tractor. When the guy recognized what it was, he fell backwards in his chair. He goes, what are you doing with this? And Dad goes, well, I don't want it. And they were like, we've got to deactivate this. Well, let me just tell you, there are some things in your life we need to deactivate. Yes, to see. I'll never forget Malou just taking Zach and saying, you know, where the big signs are in the Philippine airport. She told him, scream as loud as you can. Bombas! Which is screaming, uh, you can guess it. And so anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Malou was uh, uh, helping you deactivate. Have some uh, different traps. So anyway, there are things that other people are like, wow, that is terrible. That's going to explode. John, do you have that picture for me? That one I sent you on email? I have it, but I didn't know you wanted it on the TV. Oh, yeah, we like it on the TV. No. Is there a better way to do it? Yeah. Okay, let's do it that way. This one was found just the other day. Look at the size of that thing. This one was found in Florida, and a disposal team came in from the Air Force to deal with this French air-to-air missile. I don't think I was thinking of it that big. Okay, so members of the 6 EOD team were called out to the International Airport Friday as it was shut down in the wake of the discovery of this missile. It's a place where they have 150 military aircraft, and it's to help train current military pilots. <laughs> when they checked this little missile out, they found out that it's secured, but it was live. Uh, they said uh, it was armed. Hanner said the missile was like having a gun with a bullet in the chamber, but it was on safety. Now, that's quite a find to find something like that that was accidentally overlooked. Florida at an Air Force base. Okay, so this is what I was telling you is that occasionally you get some surprises of these dormant missiles, these dormant landmines that are inside your life. And in some ways, you are like that dormant missile. Now, this is our theme verse is John 1430 uh, for this particular concept. And Jesus says this unique statement. He says, the ruler of this world comes 
and he has nothing in me. The best thing that can happen to you is that God delivers you to such extent, you have so much freedom in your life that the devil has nothing to yank your chain with. Have you ever had where you have something that it just kind of yanks your chain, it messes you up emotionally, that any time the devil wants to get to you, that's the emotional button he pushes. Like, like, let me just say this. If you're leading a mission team, I guarantee you he'll hit that button right before you leave. Right before you're doing something for the Lord. Boop, he'll find that and he'll hit it on you. It's something that literally, it's like a noose around your head. And it's an area of anxiety. It pushes our button, jerks our chain. It's something that any time the devil wants his as my dad would say, quarter's worth out of you. Anytime he wants to mess your mind up, this is where he goes. This is the verse that I would invite you to pray and say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus, where you so deliver me, that you so heal me emotionally, that you so fix what's inside of me, that when the enemy comes, he can find nothing in me to wreck your life. What's in there that shouldn't be in there? I went to this man who, uh, he's, he's in his 80s, and he was, oh my gosh, he was such a sweet pastor, and he had such a tender heart. And I told him, I said, every time I take a mission team out, I said, this thing hits me, and it just knocks me down. And I said, I feel like Goliath, and I have this little hole in my helmet. And the enemy finds that one place to hit me every single time. And I told him what it was, and I told him what happens. And I tell him, it just kind of knocks me out for about three days. Like, I, my mind's just kind of messed up and spinning. So I asked him, what do I do about it? Well, being the kind of deliverance pastor he was to pray, I was expecting him to come up with something great for my life. He told me, just stand up quicker. <laughs> it's like I was expecting something totally different. He was like, get on your feet quicker than this. And I'm telling you, there is something that it takes walking it out with the Lord to get it healed. To get it hold. And that's the thing we're talking about that lies dormant. You might not see it, but the enemy knows what it is. And he constantly is putting his fingers on it going, I'd sure like to push this button. But I'm going to wait right at the right time so I can push that button and mess him up. You know, you see this in the life of David, that he is about to fight Goliath. And we always talk about that. Tremendous fight he does with this nine foot nine guy. But the truth was the enemy pushed a button on him. Remember right before the battle, he has his, his older brother Elab say, I know you have a wicked heart. You're only here for the attention of the battle. I know this is what you're doing. And if he had let that button make him crazy, he would have gone, my stupid brother, he does this all the time. I'm going to just run home and tell my daddy Jesse of just what he's doing to me. And see, he would have never fought Goliath. If you'll start paying attention to when the devil hits these buttons, know it's because there's a giant you're about to kill. Wake yourself up to it. I always said I have to get one good elab slap before I start a mission trip to know that this is going to be a good one. Like the enemy will haul off and just slap me. And I'll go, oh, it's going to be a good trip. Because you just feel it inside of you. Oh, God has this for me. He has something that he wants out of me. Because the enemy is working overtime to, to make my life miserable. So, let's pick on, let's pick on Erica. She's leaving. 
Thinking how, you because know, I was asking myself, how could I really make you take me serious tonight? And I ask, what's dormant inside of me? Well, it's so much easier on someone else than yourself. So we could take Erica, and we could say, what's activated in her, and what's dormant? Like, where's she going to go, and spring apart like a watch? Like, what's it going to take? You know, I've about decided the person that can help you best on this are your friends. They can help you find what's dormant inside of you. (laughs) The enemy likes to activate things. The devil will activate the dormant in your life. So it's so much easier to see it on Erica than on me. (laughs) The dormant. And that's what I was thinking, that seriously, you can see, oh, that makes them very vulnerable. That is what will really tear them apart. And your friends can help you find that. You know, I don't know about you, but in some poker, you know how it is when you put the card on your forehead and everybody knows what the card is but you? And so you're betting. It is. So you put the card up here. And everybody can see what that card is, but you can't. But you can see the cards on their head. That's exactly what this is. You can see what everyone else's card is, but you can't see what's inside yourself. It's dormant. That's why you need friends. Someone once said King David wouldn't have made that fall with Bathsheba if he had had a best friend. Your friends will help you. Are you able to let someone speak into your life? and tell you what you don't want to hear. Around here, we always think that um, the ugly truth is better than a pretty lie. And so we uh, are kind of, we don't think that we're ruthless. I mean, I don't think we're harsh. But we're pretty straight talking. But we forget adults don't like this. Don't go into a church and do this. Like, my mom speaks at a conference. Everybody loves her. She drips maple syrup from her mouth. I get in there and I've been messed up by being in prison ministry and college ministry too long. Adults don't like it. They don't like truth. They don't take it well. So you've got to be a little bit funny or they're just going to cart you out of there. Well, so they invite us out of town to speak. And it was just this past few weeks that this girl comes to us and her life is just completely trapped. She doesn't like it. She's miserable. She's had 10 years of her life, and you see nothing about God in it now. But yet when she was a kid, she really thought she was going places with God. She was worshiping and happy, and her parents had been in a cult like Christian Science, or I think her dad was in all that. and So they were in some really weird stuff, but she had come to faith. But she took a wrong turn. She married a guy, and I think it lasted nine months, and she jilted him. And so she had a child, and so we were looking at this relationship, and I thought we did a very remarkable job. John was, John was, he wasn't there, maybe that was the problem. So it was, it was Steph and me and Kayla, and we didn't do anything to the girl. We didn't, we didn't name her sins. We didn't anything to her. We didn't pray uh, just a real happening prayer over her, nothing. We gave her strategy how to get out of the trap. And y'all, you can't pay for that kind of good thinking. Like that's called having a life coach. 
Like, I, if I would be a better kid if, when I was at Hard Paint, if they had had a life coach for me to help me through my problems. <laughs> I mean, that's what you need. You need someone that can help you through these traps. I mean, that's what I tell you. You go into that little room in there, that banana room, and you lay your little soul out, and sometimes you can fix something, like something that's been bugging you for 10 years. You can fix it. And it helps you. It does. It gives you someone else. They think out of the box. They think differently. Or maybe they have, they've been down the road a little further than you have. Something will help you. If you get someone from out of town, it's glorious because they won't ever see you again. I mean, we had this woman set up for success. And, you know, it was just shocking that her whole testimony was 10 years ago, I, was, I really loved the Lord, but not now. Don't let that happen to you. Like from in 10 years from now, after you've been under a lot of teaching, I don't want to see in 10 years that you're like, well, I just lost God somewhere. Because traps do that to you. Same thing with another lady. She had something happen to her, and I just made a joke. I just made a joke. About five of y'all were hanging your heads around, and it, we just told the joke, and it didn't go over well. Because I just said something that it wasn't, I don't know, you weren't there to help me out of it. But, yeah. So, anyway, you hit something in somebody that's dormant. And sometimes they're like, that hurts. Because, you know, traps are like those things that get on dogs' feet. And they chew their leg off to get out of them. And sometimes you've got to be very careful reaching your hands in and helping a person get loose. Because, I mean, they're in pain. And you come in, and you remember where Jesus says about a church? He didn't say anything glorious about it. He goes, the sick need a doctor. And that's about what it is. Your need stepping on the toe of someone else's need. Everybody's sick. The sick need a doctor. He said the righteous don't, but the sick do. And in a lot of ways, everybody comes broken in some part. And you've got to have someone that helps you start putting the Word of God into action. Where you start developing that relationship because you've got some areas from your past that hurt they do from my experience of talking to people I've never met anyone that likes all the cards that they were dealt nobody got a perfect hand there is nobody I don't care how much their life looks together they have something back there and so this thing that is activated or this thing that's dormant, that is what literally the enemy, he likes to push. I'm going to tell you a terrible story. Last year, a close friend gave me a whole sack of candy when I came home. Welcome home. Chocolate bars, chocolate blueberries, chocolate truffles, chocolate Reese's, chocolate everything. Expensive candy, not the cheap kind. I allotted myself two chocolate Reese's. I ate the first one and I enjoyed it. And I put the other one in my little candy dish from Ireland with a lid on it, the second one. I waited a little bit to eat my Reese. I bit into my Reese's candy and when I broke it open, the biggest, fattest white worm was in the middle of the peanut butter. Immediately, my stomach wonders about the other Reese I'd eat. <laughs> Did I not look? Did I chew? I mean, you're sitting there thinking this. That peanut butter 
and that Reese had worm eggs in it and one hatched out. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible story, but breaches by itself. That's exactly what happens to you. Sin eggs hatch. Big white worms. They hatch in your mouth. You think the pleasure of them. You know, James 1, 13 and 17 talks about that. And it talks about, don't let anybody tell you that God's tempting you. Because God can't tempt you because he doesn't have anything in him that's evil to tempt you with. There's just no evil in God. He doesn't tempt you. But there is someone who does tempt you. God is good. That's where it has that beautiful scripture that says he's perfect. There's no... You know, he gives perfect gifts. It says that when we're tempted, we're tempted by our own lust. I'm going to use the word translated passions. We're carried away. And James contrasts this with the man who has passions within, with shifting shadows, with variations. And it reminded me of when I was in um, Washington, D.C., there was a Heritage Foundation which had a lot of George Washington's writings. So I opened a book and I was reading while I was waiting on someone to come out of there. They were in the uh, Witherspoon. I don't know if y'all have heard of that. They had been given a grant there. And as I was reading about it, George Washington was giving advice to either one of his nieces or something like that. And he said, be careful. He said, within every man are passions. And he says, they're easily inflamed. And it was just unique in his very proper language to explain that there are passions within our soul. And I was thinking about the difference between uh, two things here because passions that are better left alone like in the sense of passions are for the right time you know like the right time for the passion of anger because sometimes anger at the right moment is the best decision you can make it's called righteous anger it's anointed by the Lord sometimes the passion of love You know, I would say that you don't want to spend your life where you're incapable of love. You don't want miserable. There's people that I know that are, it's miserable because they're incapable of loving. Like there's something broken. They don't have that in them. But you don't want that passion to be where your thought life, where you indulge yourself with every single person you see at your pleasure. That's not what that's talking about with with the passions it's talking about having your passions that they come alive they're activated at the right time and that's what George Washington was saying you need to activate your passions awaken your love at the right time it's beautiful it's like God made us for love and he's doing things to keep the the worms out of life the bad things that are coming so there's things that shouldn't be, which is John 14:30. The ruler has come, and he has nothing in me. And then there's verses like this in James 1, where it's talking about the passions that should be at certain times in your life, when it's right, when God is for it, where you feel heaven behind you. You know, that's where I would tell you that God will help direct your passions and activate it at the right time. Because if you have thoughts that aren't right, 
They're keeping you from thoughts that are right. You know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, your thoughts are terrible. But I'm telling you what you're missing out on is what your thoughts could be with the Lord. If you were allowing your mind to think the kind of thoughts that God has for you, like because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you get into the realm of, oh my goodness, that's what, you feel the compassion of God. Like you feel what he's feeling. Y'all, that's what the wrong stuff keeps us from is what God has for the right stuff. So I'm going to tell you, if you've got thoughts that are not right, that they keep coming up, you constantly push it down because that's the Christian thing to do. Don't come out now. (laughs) Don't jump out. You know, being at a pool where there's a pool ball and you hold it under the water, and have you ever had one of those, they pop up out of the water when you don't expect it. That's what happens with thoughts. They pop up at the wrong time. But we call it Christian to repress it. But I'm saying face it and get it out. Find a safe place. Don't let it perpetually stay there. You have some dominating thoughts. One compulsive thought can wreck three years of your life. You've got to pay attention to your thoughts. Those are your dormant seeds. Because they move into something else. That's where the enemy would like to take it and wake something up. And it's something that constantly comes after you. You know, Martin Luther said this once. You can't help the bird that flies over your head. But you can help who you let nest in your hair. And some of it is you're letting something nest. But you're being Christian. You put a smile on your face and you repress it. That's why we don't have victory. Because we're teaching ourselves to make it go dormant we're piling a smile on top of it happiness loud music stuff to keep us busy and active when something's not right inside and i would challenge you at the right time face it and deal with it i've had people uh there was a lady cop they sent me to disciple and when we started pulling back the layers She said it actually hurt more the next day because all the anger and the hardness she'd put over it to hold it. She said when we started pulling that off, she said all she could feel was the pain then. Y'all, sometimes you got to pull back to the pain. And you got to take a look at what's there because repression is not freedom. That's where the ruler of the world comes, and there's plenty in you. (laughs) There's plenty in you repressed down. I mean, that peanut butter is full of eggs. (laughs) And I can't tell you when they're going to hatch. You know, if I was doing biological warfare and I was working on a virus in a lab, I would make that virus go into your body and I would have it awaken what's dormant in you. And if any of you had anyone that uh, got the COVID virus, let's just say, What's unusual about that is COVID wakes up what's dormant. It's like it goes to the switches and it turns them on. It wakes up things in your life that you haven't answered. Like if you have something wrong in your body, it goes and it reawakens it. It it affects people different ways. And this is what I'm going to tell you. When you have something that attacks your body... And it goes away. Don't wait and see if it comes back. I'm going to tell you here, you must answer it. And how do you answer it? 
You answer it with the Word of God. Because I realized something about the Bible I had never thought about. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to ignore the enemy. Nowhere. But Christians ignore. We ignore the bad. It's different than Christian science. They deny the bad. We just ignore it. But the Bible tells you to do something. It says, answer it. And I'm going to tell you tonight, the way to start this freedom is start answering some things that have been perpetual in your life. Get you a verse and answer it. God will make some verse jump off the page and it'll be your verse that God gives you for that problem. That's called putting your armor on, doing spiritual warfare. Don't let that fear stay in you. And that's exactly what I realized is that is what the enemy does. He designs mechanisms to go inside of you and activate the dormant. You must answer it. You must forbid things. Y'all, in Matthew 18, 18, it talks about binding and loosing. And there's something to be said about binding. Like if there was a guy out of control in here, we had a guy in here, uh, they brought in some drug guys, and he kept telling us he wanted to murder one of us. And he was a big old guy. I mean, this was a big guy. If you try to drag them out of here, they're kicking and screaming and all this stuff. There's something to be said for binding them. I mean, maybe get that duct tape out. I mean, bind them. And that verse talks about binding the strong man. And there's a principle to binding. But I'm going to tell you there's also the word itself has the idea, the rabbis use this somewhat, it's forbid. Forbid and permit, bind and loose. Duo and luo. It's your great. And I'm going to tell you there's some things in your life you need to forbid. It's the difference between really winning over an attack. I want you to think about 1 Peter 5.8. When the line is charging you, all the Bible says to do is resist. And I don't know what resist looks like on you. I wish the Bible had explained this is what resistance looks like. But I think resistance looks a little different on everyone. But you're putting a hand up and you're saying no. The enemy's coming after you and you say no. You know, it reminds me. Tornado warning. Tornado warning. Shall we get the show flash? Warm that, Lord, we have peace over this and we'll finish your word. Father, I just thank you for we lie in your protection. And I just speak peace, peace. In Jesus' name, that we'll have a sweet rain without destruction and disaster. In Jesus' name. So, maybe there's a little resistance. But I'm saying to you that since the Bible doesn't say ignore, and it says resist, I'm inviting you into resisting the enemy. It gives you strength. This is the best analogy I can think of. Have you ever had a dog come after you that was trained to hurt you? Have you ever noticed that if you'll turn and face the dog, if you run, that thing will come after you and run up your backside. But if you turn and face that dog, it'll back off many times. This is what I see here that it's talking about with the line that you have to resist with something more powerful than just your own words. You're resisting with the Word of God. And this is where I would tell you 
that the best thing to do with dormant is resist. Resist it. Answer it. Get you some scriptural promises. See what God says. Pray. Answer it. Some things have been asleep for a long time. Some things have an unnatural amount of time they stay hidden. That thought, that passion was in a dormant state. I don't know if you want to believe this or not. It's Texas folklore. But you can go see it yourself. It's in Eastland, Texas. And when you want to take a date there, take them to see O'Rip. O'Rip was a horned toad that in 1897 was placed in a cornerstone of the courthouse of Eastland. And they sealed the cornerstone. Back then they put live horny toads in there. Okay, let's pray. Let's pause for a minute. Y'all ready? Now, I was talking about this horned frog down in Eastland, Texas. Okay. Oh, real. And so nobody thought much about the fact they'd thrown these horned toads in this cornerstone. But in 1928, when the courthouse was demolished to make room for another one, a thousand people were on hand to watch the opening of the cornerstone. And inside laid the horned toad, all right. He was flat and covered with dust. And he was in a dormant state, hibernating and alive after 31 years. The toad was Kristen O. Rip and became a national sensation. He toured the country and met President Coolidge. <laughs> Local gas stations gave away complimentary toads to customers. But 11 months after his resurrection, O. Rip croaked. <laughs> I think he caught pneumonia from his tours of the country. (laughs) His body was embalmed and placed in a tiny open casket, velvet lined, in the lobby of the new courthouse. And Eastland still has this this horn toad. So whatever you want to make out of that, you have to deal with Eastland, Texas. But that is a good uh, dormant story for us. So what is underneath the surface? What lurks? I don't know if you've ever been to a place after the hurricane, but I was in the sound, and they caught the sound, and the hurricane blew the water out of the sound. And I couldn't believe the stench and the surprises of what lay under the water. I was walking where the hurricane had been. But any of you who are raised in the country like I was, that I would always go swimming in the tank. In the summertime, I'd lay out, enter to 10 to 20 feet of water, You know, tanks are for cows. They drink out of it. During a drought, after my summers of sunshine and happiness and Howard Payne, that the tank dried up. And what shocked me was what was under the water at the tank. It exposed debris and stench and trash and fishing lures and broken bottles. But most of all, lay this big, dead Brahma cow who hadn't been dead too long when I'd been out there in the summer. And when I would take a big gulp of that water, no wonder it was so sweet. That's nasty. 
And what I saw under that water I'd been swimming in, I was shocked. But the drought exposed what I did not know. And that's the same with you. Inside of you is stuff that you can't believe until there's a drought. And the water may taste sweet. And the afternoons be long and sunny. But there's stuff that lies down there. I mean, for some of you, Leviathan may be in the deep. It is much like that with our lives. God moves over our lives occasionally, and we see what's really down there. You know, there's dormant Jezebels. If you want to read an interesting thing on Jezebel, they said if you want to expose a Jezebel, some of you are thinking someone back home in your town that's a Jezebel, that all you have to do is tell them no, and you'll find them. They'll explode. A person with a Jezebel spirit, that spirit is dormant and invisible, but once the time and the space for repentance is over, woo, then what was hidden begins to usurp authority, seduce, control, manipulate, and try all types of other familiar spirits. He said that he called it a volcano. This is a guy from South Africa was telling this, ready to explode. He said, I liken that pressure inside of a Jezebel to a nervous breakdown. And he said that these are the different signs of what happens when a Jezebel spirit. But it goes from being dormant to manifesting. When a Jezebel manifests, your relationship will now change. You must not be controlled or manipulated. Have you ever seen someone that controls or manipulates? Sometimes the first time you'll meet that is in college. And you'll start seeing that some of you were raised with it in your family of being manipulated. You must not be controlled. If you'll remember in the Bible, Ahab got in as much trouble as as Jezebel for allowing himself to be controlled. When you come of age, you must not allow yourself to be manipulated. You cannot tell God, well, they controlled me. It's why I didn't do anything for the kingdom. It's why I bore no fruit, why I did no talents. Because I didn't invest anything my goodness. So you... <laughs> Sam, if this is really speaking to you, you don't have to throw anything. So, you don't need Jezebel's permission to do what's right. When Jezebel violates your relationship, your trust, your boundaries, and starts to seduce and control and manipulate with their various witchcraft, it's at that point that the grace ends. It says in every relationship, think about this. This is what dating's for. Relationships test. That's what you do in a relationship. You test. And either trust develops or trust is violated. And you must pay attention to those trust levels. When somebody tramples on grace, then you must tell them this is the way it is and lay the law down. And tell them this is what is expected of you. And this is what is allowed and what's not allowed. Because a Jezebel refuses to follow the rules. And at this point, you've got to put distance between you and the Jezebel. And it's going to feel terrible to start terminating that relationship, removing that person from any kind of a leadership position. If you've ever tried that, oh my lands, it says hell breaks loose. It does. This means that relationships are restored only after repentance. There is no ability to make a relationship or keep a relationship with Jezebel if there's no repentance. There is no relationship. 
Repentance consists of actions of changed behaviors that prove something has changed within the heart. It can't just be merely words. Jezebel and deliverance. The Jezebel spirit awakens from its dormant sleep and starts operating. At that moment, you must act. If you fail to act regardless of the wonderful relationship you had with that person in the past, literally you're going to miss your opportunity. This means you have to say no. What you allowed before in your relationship cannot be allowed now. Period. Say no and mean it. Just like a volcano, the word no will make the Jezebel spirit erupt and it will go ballistic towards you. The Jezebel spirit tries to make everyone uncomfortable, every situation be your fault. And as long as you were saying yes to her control, everything was fine. But the day you say no, kaboom, don't marry this. Lance, I don't want to have to do your counseling if you do. Okay, the Jezebel spirit awakens. You must step back and see what's going on. You cannot, listen to this sentence, you cannot validate a Jezebel spirit's actions by your inaction. Have you ever seen that? A lot of weak men will validate the Jezebel by inaction. My gosh, this happened. It wasn't too long ago. It was a chaplain. And his wife was out of control. I had never seen a, a, a lady like this. It had some to do with money. But she had one of her college kids down on the ground telling him to repent he wasn't saved. And he was a very strong Christian. But she had gotten mad because of a situation that had happened with her house. And this guy was not the guilty party. But her husband sat there doing nothing. He let her dominate the room, and not one man spoke up. And I was, you know who I was offended at? Well, I had another crossliner in that meeting. He's trained for a conflict, and he did nothing. He let her go. But I'm saying, I've seen this scenario over and over happen again. And I love this sentence here. You cannot validate a Jezebel spirit's actions by your inaction. You must show strength. You must show a decisive action at this point. Spiritual warfare. The Jezebel spirit, as he said before, will begin the minute you say no. But this is the good news. The spiritual war is your path to freedom. The spiritual warfare you get in at that point is your path to freedom. Plus it gives them a chance unless he's saying the time to repent has already taken place. But I like this. The good news is that you win when you resist. And if you're called to any kind of pastoring or any kind of ministry, you must be prepared to resist. Y'all, this is the hardest part of ministry. It's the hardest part where you have to go in and literally resist these spirits. And y'all, it's getting worse in the days that we're living in. People are getting more rebellious. Have you noticed? I mean, it's out in the streets now. I hope all y'all are registered to vote. I mean, this dormant thing is coming crazy. And let me tell you what happens when this spirit gets loose. It's called the fifth column. Now, what is the fifth column? When you have a dormant, that gets activated, the fifth column is the dormant people that live within a city. 
What compares to this? I'm going to say this. When rebellion rises up, what does it tug on inside of you? Like if somebody gets real rebellious, does it make you feel rebellious too? Leah, I feel that same way. I feel that same hate. I feel that same anger. Are they speaking to anger down inside of you? Notice what a fifth column. Fifth column is an enemy attack and people from within help undermine, usually in favor of an enemy. The activities of a fifth column can be bold or secret. During an external attack, the secret group becomes apparent. You never knew they existed. And when when an enemy is attacking from the outside, they are counting on the people within. And this is where they coined the phrase. It was during the Spanish Civil War inside of Madrid in 1936, a few years before World War II. And during the Civil War, I think they, they sent their columns to attack the city. And when they did, what it did was awakened a group of people inside of Madrid that were angry, that started making chaos within the city. And that is happening in America. We see it. And it's the fifth column of attack. It's the stuff that's dormant within. They side with the enemy And it can be people living with you that are not of you. It takes an attack and spiritual warfare for you to identify who these people are. Positive side, play offenses. I was thinking about it. uh, It's the same thing in World War II with the Jews. That they had to rise up. That believers have to rise up. Let's play it the opposite way. When we're under attack... It makes Christians rise up. It makes believers rise up. It makes you say, I'm going to defend like what happened in World War II with the Jews. It activates y'all. You want what's activated inside of you to be righteousness. You want it to be courage. You want it to be doing the right thing. But y'all, we're seeing sadly on our streets that it's rebellion. It's the wrong thing coming up out of people because sin lies dormant. What's dormant in you? And sometimes people have two things inside of them. Study Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. So just put 24 through 43. I think it's the parable that bothers you the most. It's the wheat and the tares. And it says that just like when the wheat's planted, the enemy sneaks in at night and he plants, and I'm going to call it sticker grass. One time we bought these big old bags of Klein seed and we planted our pastures full of Klein. And when we came up, they had gotten the wrong seed at the feed store and they had given us sticker grass seed. And we planted sticker grass. We fertilized it, plowed it, we worked it, and up grew sticker grass. And you couldn't even walk through it without looking like you were covered. We, we wanted to choke them for giving us sticker grass. And that's how the Lord feels. Because right where the wheat is, so is the tares. And he says he can't yank them up because you'll pull up good seed with the bad. And that's exactly that within a place, it's both. And when Jesus interpreted this, the field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. But the weeds are people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. And so will be the harvest. And that's what happens is that right next to each other, you have wheat and tares. 
And they looked the same. The clawing grass seed looked the same. So when you come to Christ, a lot of times you'll have love of the world in you. And you'll have a desire to evangelize. I remember this kid. Man, he was a good street witnesser. It was difficult what this kid did. But he was very good at it. He was a good preacher. And he preached in places that no one would dare to preach. But I could see both in him. I could see sincerity. And I could see some some weeds. Some seeds. He had lots of worldliness in him. He pampered his flesh. And the guy has walked completely away from the Lord. Y'all, those dormant seeds are important what you do. What lies dormant? You know, they're sneak attacks. You've got to pay attention because this is what I like about the Traps Bible study. The one thing that's difficult in your life is when something catches you by surprise. When you don't expect it. The sneakiness. Like, how do you prepare for something that sneaks up on you and, bam, blindsides you? Or like this city where all this stuff comes out of it that you never expected to be in there. Or your family, it just like, what on earth is going on? We're living in those times. Today I heard my mom, she's screaming, hollering, ah! I knew something was wrong. But guess what? When I walked out there, I wasn't in danger because it was not a sneak attack for me. It was not sneaky. But she was in danger because she was taking the uh, rain barrels and she was moving them to adjust it for when the rain came. And when she pulled up the rain barrel, out comes a rattlesnake. She lifts it. (laughs) And uh, I have a piece of the rattlesnake in the car. I was cutting off his rattles. But um, when I would cut off his rattles, I'd already cut off his head. His stub would hit me. It would. I was like, Mother, watch this. As I used a pair of scissors and I was cutting off his rattles, the stub where I'd cut off his head would strike me. And I go, Mother, look, without a head it strikes you. Like the body, and it strikes you. And I was thinking, I was not in danger. Why? Because I knew there was something wrong. I wasn't in danger because she said it's a snake. I wasn't in danger because the minute I saw the snake, I saw the rattles. I was not surprised, so I had no danger. I could do something. She had the danger because she was not expecting seeing it under the barrel. That's what I'm talking about, about dormant traps. That's a perfect example today. You have danger for what you don't know is there. You have danger for what you don't see. What's not dealt with is your most dangerous part. That's sneakiness. So when I'm working with a person, I'm aware that I'm dealing with what is buried and dormant in that person. And so this is the answer to the Bible study. What you get revealed to you, you can get rid of. You can cut the head off of it. The answer is to repent. Let things come to the top so you can get rid of it. Get repentance. Get forgiveness. That stops that sneakiness of the attack where when you least expect it, it can wallop you. It can put poison in you. It can wreck your life. And that's what I encourage you to do today. Because it will reveal itself the minute you tell it no. (laughs) It goes crazy. That's probably your sister at home or something, you know. You can see what it's doing. But inside of a person, in a relationship, 
what you're getting to know and what you're dealing with is what's dormant and what's buried. It's the difference between really winning over an attack and that's the kind of traps tonight I want you to have the victory over. Amen.